0: Okay, I want to carry up where we were at before and uh, sharing. I want us to open up in James chapter 3. And uh, I've been lo- we've been looking at the tongue, taming the tongue. Oh, terrible thing to tame. Very, very difficult instrument in our body to tame. And uh, you would have all been finding over the last three or four weeks how you suddenly become aware of just actually what is coming out of your mouth. And the Bible says, and uh, Matthew tells us that uh, the, the tongue speaks or brings out of what's stored up in the heart. So if you want to know what's in a person's heart, just listen to them talk. After a while, you'll hear it all. It'll come out in one way or another. So the words we speak come forth from our heart, they come out of our spirit, come out of what we're meditating on, treasuring in our heart. And we can keep up a bold front, a good appearance, look good, sweet and nice, but to a discerning spirit person, you can never hide what's really going on. That's the truth. The Bible says that we know one another, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, once you're born again, you become aware of the Spirit life or the nature of God and the life that flows. When you relate with people, you can quickly pick up what's coming out of their spirit. You can quickly pick up what is uh, impressing your life. And uh, as we are aware of that, so what we did was we looked at different kinds of words. Let's just read these verses again. Very vivid verses, We uh, verse 2. Uh, For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in words that he speaks, he's a perfect man. We've got any perfect men here? Able also to bridle the whole of their body. Indeed, we put a bit in the horse's mouth that we may, they may obey us, and we turn to the whole body. I think we've got a picture of that there, somewhere We don't stick it up. you got a picture there of it? You may have one. You can pop it up if it's there. We also look at <laughs> Hey, look at that. Uh, There's a uh, lovely looking young couple up there. And you see what happens when you get a hold of the horse's mouth. You get the bit in the horse's mouth, then you're fine. But if you don't get the bit in the horse's mouth, then you can't control the horse. Big problem if you can't control the horse. And there it is there. Now that one there was just before Joy lost control of the horse. She was pregnant with one of our children and she let the, the bridle go out of the horse's mouth and it just took off and I can still to this day remember the horse, I was looking at the rear end of the horse as it departed across Bruce Simmons paddocks and uh, her legs were sort of out like this and that and, uh, and holding on for all she was worth. But uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a control over the horse's mouth, you have no control over the whole horse. But if you can control the mouth, you can control the whole horse, where it goes. Same with the ship. Got control over the rudder, you can steer the whole ship. If you've got no control over the rudder, then you're in big trouble. The Bismarck, which was one of the greatest uh, warships that the German Navy produced, uh, it had the power to uh, outshoot and outrun any of the ships in the British Navy. Its first engagement with HMS Hood. Uh, it had a, one, one shot, went into a magazine, and the whole of the hood with two thousand people sank. The Bismarck travelling through the seas presented a huge problem for the British Navy and for all the merchant ships. Huge problem. And so Winston Churchill said everyone to uh, go out and have to sink the Bismarck. And uh, what happened was it was attacked by some planes, and they got, they got a lucky shot, and they disabled the rudder. And there's this huge warship, you know, covered in guns and armor. It was, you know, the leader in its day. But the rudder was jammed. And instead of being able to steam for safety, it just went around in a circle. And the British ships surrounded it. And they literally pounded it until it sank. And uh, it's just amazing. Just one lucky shot hit the rudder. And when they had no control over the rudder, They couldn't control the ship, and the destiny of that ship and all that were on it was changed just because of the rudder. And so the Bible uses these illustrations of the horse and the ship to get us to understand that what's coming out of your mouth is determining where your life and relationships and destiny go. I just cannot state it more passionately and clearly, what you are speaking is beginning to form your future. And uh, what we've done over the last two or three weeks is we've looked at some of the negative kind of things we say and the impact they have, because we saw that words are containers. You hear the words, but what they contain, their spirit content, leaves an impact and an impression on you. And so that that begins to shape everything around you. And we looked at uh, lying words and the the impact of lying words. We looked at uh, words which were words of gossip and slander, destroying people's reputations. We looked at uh, the area of put-down words, words which put people down, words which have a spirit content, a spirit of murder and death. And when you've been exposed to put-down words, you feel belittled, diminished, crushed, and withdrawn on the inside. Something has impacted you. Uh, what's impacted you is the spirit released when the words were spoken. And so a spirit of death and murder comes against you. You literally shut down. Uh, words of life would lift you up, but words that put you down actually murder you. They, they destroy or take away your life. And I know talking with people, many, many people here suddenly become aware that within their family background, that their whole Uh, uh, upraising or the the way they've been raised was in an environment of put downs that destroyed, limited their potential. Maybe because they were a girl, maybe because they're the youngest, maybe because they just didn't do so good in school. Some of you would have been in school and would have had words belittling you because of the way you looked, some defect, some kind of thing you couldn't do. Maybe it was a reading problem. Maybe it was uh, some other kind of thing that just uh, there was... And what happened was you just get put down and belittle. And those words ring in your ears for years. It's like they program the inner man. And then we begin to operate and live our life out of it. Truly, they have begun to shape our life. What happened, we saw, was we get into agreement with those words. Once you've agreed with the words, I'm no good, I can't do anything, then now you begin to speak them. And you begin to start to actually reinforce what's been spoken over your life. Those kind of words are cursings. They are cursings. They release a spiritual power that holds you down and restricts your potential. You wouldn't know how many times over the years I've sat and looked in the eyes of a person, begin to talk about their potential and speak about the impact of these words, to watch them just break down and weep, just literally weep as they felt the grief for the first time of what had happened, because most just say, oh, that's just our family, that's just me. You See, but we want to break out of that, so we've focused on those, There last week we talked about empty words, words which have got no substance in them, the person's got no intention of keeping them, or that the words are just for a show, or the words are designed to manipulate, we saw about empty words. Now, in all of these cases, that the words which could have brought life actually bring death to people. I want to look at one last area of these negative words, then next time around we're going to begin to look at how God has designed us to move prophetically, how God has designed us to speak and alter spiritual atmospheres, alter even the course of our own life by the words we speak. We're going to look about how we can begin to actually tap into God's creative ability to speak over our life and over our family and over our relationships words that release the Spirit of God. And the angels of God to begin to work, instead of creating an environment for demons. So we want to look at hasty words today. Okay, hasty words. Hasty words. Angry words. Hasty words. <laughs> hasty. Irritable. Impatient. Thoughtless. Rash. Spoken quickly without thinking about the consequences. Eh? And uh, here's a verse in Proverbs twenty-nine, verse twenty. Do you see, man? Do you see a man who is hasty with his words? there's more hope for a fool than for him. How about that? Now, you're going to find there's an awful lot in the Bible. I'll cover some of it today. Uh, I just want to give enough that you get a handle on this and also can deal with the root issue. But if a person who is rash in their talking, they speak without thinking, they utter words without thinking, they flare up and speak out things they shouldn't be speaking, he says, there's more hope for a fool than someone like that. In other words. If you want to work with someone, work with a fool rather than work with someone who's angry and explosive and and, and they let outbursts of words go. I know this is going to speak to many and I want it to speak to your heart. I want you to begin to think about what you're doing because I'm aware that in some families and some relational situations, some of you are totally unaware of the havoc you're creating by your words. And I want you to become aware of these words. And then come to a place where you learn how to handle and rule your spirit so you become uh, able to begin to speak words that are life-giving and words that build. If most of our life our words are out of control, when we try to speak God's words, probably there'll be no force, no power, no life in them because they're not really part of the way we live our life. Okay then, all right, so let me just, uh, hasty words. Hasty words always have bad consequences. Words spoken out of inflamed emotions. (laughs) words that are spoken like that out of an inflamed emotion always have bad consequences and have you ever found afterwards you've had to say I wish I hadn't said that I just wish I hadn't said that how many people have had said that I wish I hadn't said that when when our emotions are stirred we get angry we get wound up on the inside we say and do things we later regret I wish I hadn't done that now I've got to go and say I'm sorry and undo it all I thought I was so right when I was saying all those things. Now I've got to go and humble myself because I was a fool. So he said, let me give you a couple of verses. So hasty words have bad consequences. Let's read this. Proverbs 14, verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. Ever seen someone that flares up? Notice they always do dumb things. How many have broken something when you flared up? Huh? Or you've done something stupid with your car? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something got broken, something was bumped into, you know, when we got angry. See? So the Bible says very clearly that a quick-tempered person will act foolishly. In other words, they act without thinking. And that what they come up with is stupid. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine: He that is slow to anger or slow to wrath has great understanding. But if you can hold your anger back and keep your anger in check, you're a very smart person. Okay? Smart people can hold back their anger. Foolish people can't. He that is hasty in spirit exalts foolishness. So the person who quickly flares up, you know what he does in his life? He does lots of stupid things. The person who can control their anger and manage it and deal with it appropriately and right, that person's very understanding, understands the power of this thing if it's let go. Have you ever, ever seen something you started a little fire and then you couldn't put it out? That's what hasty words do. Angry words will really set something going. You have an out, you know, you break out, you begin to have a deluge of angry words. What'll happen is you start a fire going in the the family, in the household, in your relationships. Very hard to put it out. That's why it says the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. A fire. When people are angry, they tend to speak and do things that are crazy. Uh, Shane Willard was saying, And I don't know, he must have got the research from somewhere. He said that when a person gets angry, their IQ drops 30 points. So if you were only an average IQ anyway, (laughs) which is most of us, you know, if we're really, really brilliant people, then we can afford to drop a few for a moment. But, you know, if you're just sort of just the normal average run of the mill person and you lose 30 points on your IQ, you're just a raving lunatic can't think right. That's why the Bible says they act stupidly, act foolishly, act like an idiot. Isn't that true? Have you ever seen someone acting like an idiot? And you think, what on earth do I think they're doing? Look at that. Look And they look like a crazy man. And all it is, is they're angry. And their IQ dropped. You know, the IQ drops 30 points. When lust gets a hold of you, you just lose your ability to think. It's true. And then when Anger gets a hold of you again, you lose your ability to think. All thinking's gone. Now there's just I'm wanting to smash something or yell at something. Isn't that right? Look at this. And so always when people, uh, always when people get angry, they'll say and do things. They later on regret. In Psalm 106, let's read Psalm 106, verse 32, 33. Even Moses is a pretty good man, got upset. Cost him a bit too. Moses. Now Moses was a meek man. He had himself under control, but even he got upset. It says verse 32, they angered him at the waters of strife and it went badly for Moses on account of them. It says they rebelled against his spirit or the spirit of God and he spoke rashly with his lips. So what happened was this. So notice this, what happened was Moses got into trouble because he spoke angrily. And What had happened was the people of God were always complaining and here's the man who's trying to help them get to where they're supposed to get. All they can do is complain. And they complained so much, they got him wound up. And so in the end, God had spoken to him. He said, now, the last time you smote the rock with the rod, this time I want you to speak to the rod. And then he comes out and he says, you blooming people, you want water? You want water, do you? want water, do you? All right, and he gets the rod and he whacks the stick. And he hits this rock twice. Calls them all rebels. He gets very angry. Now, the interesting thing was... God gave them the water, but then God had words with Moses. And Moses was not able to enter into the promised land because he got angry and didn't do what God told him to do. I think the thing that was the thing that caused the trouble was not that he struck the rod. I think that it struck the rock. I think it was when he spoke with his words because it said it was what he said was the problem. When he was angry, he spoke out. He says, you rebels, you want us to get you some water? And he hit this rock and the walk. And so God honored the office and honored the act to get water to the people. But he was accountable for his rash words. And that cost him. Imagine you've been 40 years in the wilderness. And the the very place you've got to lead everyone, you can't go yourself. So God was good. God gave him a little glimpse of it. Have a look. There it is. You can't get in there because you were crazy in your speech, and you actually began to accuse people of something. You cursed them virtually, called them rebels, see? Now it's one thing to talk to them about their complaining, it's another thing to brand them and label them and call them a name. I think that's what got him into trouble. He began to label and name the people of God, and I think that's what got him into trouble, because they're God's people and God identifies with them. we have got to be really careful. Uh, or we get stirred in our emotions or feel angry that we don't begin to start to label people and yell at people and begin to start to vent our reaction in a way that causes us unseen consequences in the future. Okay, oh, there we go, that was wonderful, that went down well, didn't it, eh? Oh, well. Okay, you want another one? There's another one found in 2 Chronicles 26, 18 and 19. Now this one here is Uzziah. Uzziah was a king and he got a bit uppity. After a little while, he got so successful, he got a bit proud, he thought he could do anything. The trouble with success, when you're having successes, you can begin to start to think more highly of yourself than you should. And so what happened was some good godly men rose up, and they confronted him when he was wanting to be a priest. And so they stood and said, you can't do this, you're not called to do that. What they did was right. They blocked him. And you know what it did? It said he got absolutely outraged. He got filled with wrath he became become full with wrath and anger and wanted to actually then kill them. And what happened was, leprosy broke out in his body. So we've got to be careful when we're confronted or blocked in life, when things don't go the way we want, that we don't end up developing attitudes that cause sickness and problems and all kinds of things to emerge in our body. One of the things that caused people to be sick almost more than anything Certainly a cause of depression is people being angry. When people are angry, they get depressed. When people are angry, they get sick in their body. So there's some examples of it. And Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, Don't be hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the heart of fools. Don't be hasty or don't allow yourself to be stirred up to get angry because anger sits in the heart of a fool. He will actually blow out and destroy what he's trying to build. Suppose you had a dream to build a family, and you have great ideas and you have great things that you want this family to become, and then all the way when you're investing all this time and energy and and labour for your 20, 30 years, all the time you're doing that, you're then destroying what you're building as fast as you build it. Would you call that stupid or foolish? Pretty foolish, isn't it? That's what it says, a person who can't master this issue of anger, it says, it says, it says it rests in his heart. It becomes foolish in his life. So God wants us to learn how to handle it. And we're going to touch on you how to handle it, what the root causes in a moment. But I want you to get the, get the message on it, okay? You getting the message? Have a look in Ephesians chapter 4 then. Unresolved anger opens the door to demons. Of course, you're, we're all lovely church people. We would never open the door to demons. We just come and say, Jesus, you're wonderful. We all will look, we look beautiful. We're hands up singing, Jesus, I love you. Isn't that wonderful? But the same people today singing, Jesus, I love you, later on in the week could be very, very angry and inviting demons into their home. Isn't that craziness? That's sort of foolishness, isn't it, really? We're wanting God to bless us, and then a couple of days later, we're undoing it completely and opening the door to something else. Notice what it says in Ephesians 4. Read read these verses here. Ephesians chapter 4, and it tells us, (laughs) it says... uh, Verse, I like this verse, be angry but do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger nor give place to the devil. So he's, the verses in the original are not there, it's just one flow and it's talking about our relationships and dealing with our life and certain things we need to change. It says, Now get this, it says be angry, so it's okay to be angry. For those Christians who didn't think it was okay to be angry and carried on in a fantasy world where actually real people get angry about lots of things see it's okay to be angry anger is just an emotion god feels anger we're made in the image of god we can feel anger when there's an injustice so it's no problem to feel angry anger is just like a uh, an indicator on the dashboard of your car it's just an emotion that signals a message now it's okay to be angry it's okay to feel angry okay to feel upset it's what you do with it's it the issue And so it says, be angry, but do not sin. So it says, it's okay to feel anger, but don't let it just blow over, so it becomes sin. It becomes sin when we don't resolve it. It becomes sin when we allow it to internalize and we begin to brood over it. And we begin to think and smolder on the injustice and what went wrong, and it stirs us up. Uh, Or it becomes sin when we let go and let rip at everyone around us. And some people are the brooders. They sort of let it go in and sit on it. And then there's another group and they're the, they, they blow up. They just, you know, and as a bomb goes off, you know, and they let everyone have it, and then they feel better. That's oh, great. But, but behind them, there's this ground of people bleeding all over the place. You know, they got over it. I feel good now. I feel just great. I've done my, done my stuff. I feel better now. What's all wrong with you? And everyone's, they're lying there bleeding from all the wounds that they've got. Cut to the quick by the spirit of murder, but I feel better, I feel better now, until the next time. And of course, when you get into family environments like that, they're unsafe, and they create an insecurity in the family, and there are problems in all relationships, and, and, and uh, people do not grow to activate their potential. See? It says, anger rests in the heart of fools. <laughs> Don't sit on your anger. Get to sort it out quick. And the Bible tells us how quick it should be. Well, that's quite handy, isn't it? It says don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, you just got today to get over it. Okay? Today to get over it. When you go to bed at night, don't go to bed angry. Just get over it. Tell someone else, you need to get over it. I see you're getting angry already. Just get over it. You need to get over it. You need to resolve the anger, get over the anger before you go to sleep. Say, because failing to resolve the anger is like opening the door to demons. So, isn't that interesting that people would every night time they go to their doors and they lock the doors to make sure all the thieves don't get in, steal their goods, all of which could be replaced and probably insured anyway. But then they go and throw open the spiritual doors and allow the demons to come in and destroy everything that's of real value. That's what it means. When it says, don't give place the devil. Don't open the door for demons to come in. Because they can smell anger a mile off. Even dogs can smell it. You notice that? You get stirred up inside it, dogs will know it. You can get them riled up if you get a little like that. When people get angry, they stiffen. You get near a dog and you begin to stiffen and stare at it. It'll get really wound up. I found that out. With many a dog. <laughs> okay then, so, so anger needs to be <laughs> dealt with. In Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight, he that has no rule over his own spirit, if you can't actually deal or manage with anger. So the Bible says it's okay to feel angry at times, but if you can't manage it and deal with it properly, it says you're just like a city that has got no walls in it, it's got no defenses, the city's been broken down, an enemy has breached the city, there's nothing to defend it. So in the old days, of course, they'd build a wall around the city. You defended the city against enemies. You had no walls. You had no defense. The enemy could come in and take what he wanted. So today, it would be equivalent to saying a person who's got no rule over their spirit or a person who can't manage this emotion of anger is like a person who leaves his doors and windows open every night for the thieves and burglars to come in. That would be the best way to describe it. Foolishness, isn't it? But we still tolerate it. So so there it is. So so always unresolved anger opens the door to demons. Now look at this. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, Cain, the first example of someone getting angry. That's good. And we'll see what resulted from him getting angry. Now remember, you've got to remember, we just take the Bible account that there was Adam and Eve and two sons. That's four people in the world. One quarter of them get put to death because one person got angry. (coughs) Look at this. Here it says, uh, verse 5, uh, the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do not, sin lies at the door. Its desirous for you, but you should rule over it. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't care about him. <laughs> okay, so notice here that Cain was angry. He was angry. Now, one of the first ways you can see someone's angry is look at their face. They get broody, moody. They get a darkness over their countenance. Yeah, you can always tell what's in the heart comes out on the face. And so when people are angry, he shows on their face. So his countenance fell. It meant he got moody. He got the black look. You know, the black look. They look black. You know, people get like that, they give you the evils, means they stare at you and you can feel and look at the anger, (laughs) you know, so his face, his unresolved feeling of anger, and he was warned that if he didn't deal with it, it would get worse, and of course what happens is he didn't deal with it at all, and what happened then was, see, he was resentful and angry because it's something he felt was unjust treatment. He felt he should have been accepted like his brother was, and when he looked at his brother, interesting. He looked at his brother and how God favored his brother because of the offering was an offering of faith. He looked at how his offering was not accepted, and he became angry. And the anger expressed first on his face, and then against his brother, and then in the field he rose up and slew his brother. I would think over the over the uh, um, the course of my ministry life, I would think that the greatest miracle that I have seen is that I'm still here (laughs) because of the words that have risen up to slay me. Simple. They hurt you. They do. You know, people can be extraordinarily abusive and hurtful. And you need to see here, there's... There's something. It's, uh, let me give a definition for anger. So you define. I want to just talk a little bit about anger. I just want you to get a handle on this, and then we'll show what to do. Because you've got to learn how to deal with it, okay? Anger is look, this is what it is. Anger is a strong, violent feeling. How many would have been angry? You know, when you've got anger, it seems to fill you, have you noticed? You know, they some and in the Bible actually the word means to flare the nostrils, so that's kind of like a, you know, when re, someone's really wound up. <laughs> See? And, and uh, so it's a feeling, strong, violent feeling of uh, with a sen- coming out of a sense of injustice. So, and there's, of course, various levels of it. Resentment. Now, the resentment's the one most people have. Church people tend to get this. It's re- it's, Resentment is like the smoldering fire. It doesn't kind of break out. It's just like a smoldering anger. Cold, quiet. You know, granny gets it. And there's this coldness in the atmosphere. Is anything wrong? Nope. The whole atmosphere becomes unpleasant, unsafe, and you want to run away and hide. That's what you do. It's what disconnects families, of course, because see, what happens is when people are in that environment, they become afraid of the anger and the feelings of anger. They actually are afraid of the spirits which are in the atmosphere. They don't understand that's what it is, but they're fearful of what may happen to them and then they will find a way to retreat and find a way out. And of course, one way is just to, just to disconnect from everyone, withdraw, hide, read books, watch television, go play on a computer, disconnect, get busy, do a hobby, all kinds of ways it happens. But see, often see, and often when people are resentful, it's like a dark scowl on the face or moodiness or sulking. Then the next level of anger is, is probably called, it, it's the word wrath. You don't use that much, but it's an anger that's looking for revenge and retaliation. The so definition of wrath means, you're angry to the point, you're going to pay for this. That's wrath. You know, it, it, and, up, and Can you see this? It wants to hurt someone, wants to hurt them. That's why when it gets out of control, it comes to rage, and then manifests as a violent explosion, an outburst against the people around, often physically or verbally. Now, you think of how many people are in jail because they just lost it. What did they lose? They had no rule of their spirit. Anger, smoldering resentment rose into wrath and then rage, and then they did something, and then they can't get it back. And you have a look, and there's a real problem in our area of this kind of thing, violent outbursts, violent rage. Talked to the police about this, and they said, Napier and Hastings are completely different. They said, in Hastings, he said, like in Napier, if someone hits someone, they just hit them once, that's about it, or twice. He said, in, in Hastings, when they do it, they just won't stop. It's like something gets out of control. And it's extremely violent. Because behind anger, we see, anger unleashes a spirit of murder. That's why it's so serious. See, And we're going to see see a lot of Christians just laugh at the whole deal and think there's nothing of it. But look what Jesus, had to, well, this is what we tend to see. I'll give you some examples and then how we tend to think about it. Uh, typical examples of people <coughs> who are really angry. Have you ever seen people throwing, a kid throwing a tantrum? Kid throwing a tantrum. Don't you love it? There he is on the ground screaming. And they stiffen. And they scream and bellow until they get what they want. See? Uh, shouting, stamping their feet. Stamping feet is another form of, of outbursts of frustration and anger. Uh, stamping feet, smashing things, slamming doors. Banging things. Slamming phones, throwing things, breaking things. Hissy fits. It's all the same thing. It's all anger. It's exploding. And unleashing spirits of murder on everyone in hearing distance. Some homes you go to, there's dents in the wall. Sometimes unusual heights. <laughs> I've been to some homes. I've looked. I thought, how'd that hole get up there? In other places, you can see a perfectly round hole the size of a man's fist. Bang through something or other. Banged into something, see? That's explosive anger. It's terribly destructive. Not only that, it hurts your knuckles. <laughs> now, here's, here's what. Now, this is what we tend to do, and this is why I'm taking time to just outline this for you, because the tendency is to accept it and say, well, "That's just me." Is it? It's an unacceptable expression of the spirit of murder. Just you? Is that what you are, a murderer? Okay, if you want to be a murderer, I think you're better than that. So you've got to see it for what it is. If you don't see it for what it is, you'll never, ever treat it seriously and break out of the habit pattern of angry expressions. Think about it. We have to actually see it for what it is. So most of us, oh, just, just me. It's my Irish nature, you know. A couple of drinks and out with a fight. Don't drink then. You know, you notice many guys, they had a couple of drinks and then suddenly all this, uh, this, this buried anger and now they're punching and fighting and looking for something. They're looking for a fight. Anger is waiting to find, it's actually at a, a level of wrath waiting to find someone to beat on. And of course in homes where there's this kind of anger, it just per- perpetuates, goes generation to generation. So a second way people tend to deal with it is they tend to just excuse it. It's not my fault, I can't help it. It's the way I am. Another way people tend to treat to just tonight. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Why do you think I'm angry? Just a thought. <laughs> Look at yourself in the mirror. <laughs> so unrestricted anger or unrestrained anger will release a spirit of murder. I want you to see that Jesus taught this very clearly. So we'll get to Jesus' words. Now Jesus got angry, but he controlled his anger and directed it productively at the right thing. God gets angry, but he's, there's a righteous anger. Well, I've got righteous anger. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5. Mostly what we think is righteous anger, isn't it all? But here, read this. Verse 21. You've, you've heard what it was said in the, uh, of those of old. You shall not murder, and whoever murders is in danger of judgment. So you've heard the commandment, thou shalt not murder. So do we have any murderers here? But that all shout. Do we have any murderers here? I think we have heaps of them. See? He said in the in the see the Old Testament, the law dealt with the behavior, the external. Murder is the behavior expression of unresolved anger and hate. So Jesus is saying, Yes, I know the law said, and you've heard it said, don't murder people. There's very practical reasons not to do that. There's real punishments if you do do it. He said, I'm telling you this, that the nature of God who set the law up, his intent was we would love people, and if you love people, don't harbor anger in your heart against them. He says, says, you know, if you murder someone, you're in danger of judgment. He said, I'm telling you differently. I'm telling you if you have anger in your heart against someone and don't deal with it, you are in danger of judgment because anger is the seed that gives rise to murder. That's pretty strong talk from Jesus, isn't it? But he says it there. I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to your brother, idiot, shall be in danger of the counsel. Whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, I won't go into all that's there and all that it means, but very, very simply this. Anger is the root from which murder flows. And God is calling us to live a different life. He's calling us to have a spirit-empowered life. See, the spirit-empowered life, we go far beyond not killing people. We go to this fact where we deal with our heart attitude. We're going to learn how to love people and not hold anger and express anger and murder at them. See, That's why he says uh, concerning adultery, he said, you know, it said don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you what God is wanting is he's wanting a heart that's pure, that doesn't actually lust after other women because that's what leads to adultery. You see, so he's saying, uh, what I'm telling you is, what we're looking for here is far higher than just a little set of rules to keep. What we're looking for here is spiritual people who've got a pure heart and know how to actually express the life of God, because that's what you're all on about. That is what I put you in the earth to do, to express the love and the life of God. So he said, you need to deal with this issue that's inside you. We're getting to hang on that now? Jesus was pretty straight about that, wasn't he? Oh, you all get very quiet about it now. So, <laughs> So, And remember that that anger anger will always lead to some form of verbal or physical retaliation with a desire to hurt. You've got to realize that. The intent when someone explodes is to vent what's in them and usually to hurt someone else with it. And if they don't intend to hurt them, it still makes no difference, they do. We've all been through that. Haven't you been through an experience where you've had someone really nut off and lose it? And it was directed at you. How many have felt, had that experience and found it really unpleasant? See? Everyone here. Everyone here. How many, well, I won't ask how many have done it themselves. You know? Tendency is to just do, because you don't know what to do. Let me just give you the, quickly now the root of it and then a couple of practical keys, how to deal with this. Because God wants us to, to deal with it. And you don't deal with us sitting on it. So the root of it is very simple. Simple, this. Anger arises when... We believe our personal rights have been violated. Anger has to do with your rights, what you believe you're entitled to. See, notice this. You see a kid doing a hissy fit on the ground? They're fussing to get what they want, and they're doing everything they can to make you do what they want because they believe what they want they're entitled to. Isn't that right? So the core at the root of anger is my belief that I'm entitled to have life go right for me. It's actually a consequence of the fall. And you'll see at the core of dealing with anger, the issue of personal rights has to be addressed. Because as soon as a person believes their personal rights have been uh, uh, violated in some way, whether it's real or just they imagine it, they get angry. Every time they get angry. So it could be simply a blocked goal. You know, you're just trying to get to work, and then there's some silly slow car with some old person sitting there, and they're blocking the blimmin' road! And You're just are wound up, and you do something hasty. And then you're pulled over by the cops, and then you really have regret and leisure in how much it's going to cost you, see? But, but it's like when, when goals are blocked, we can't get what we want, we get angry. And all it is is, my goal is blocked. Because I believe I have a right to have my goals achieved when and how I want. That's the heart belief. You change that belief, you'll change the behavior. See, the reality is we live in a world where there's all kinds of things block us and hinder us. Everyone gets blocked and hindered. The thing is, if you've got an attitude like Jesus, his attitude was, I came with no expectation it would all work out good. I came with an expectation I would give my life to make things better. Different mentality. Different mentality. Therefore, he didn't get outraged or angered by things that people did. Badly treated, we get badly treated. We get, well, I've got a right to be treated right. I've been treated fairly. It's not fair. That's what kids say, isn't it? It's not fair. Get over it. Life isn't fair. There are lots of things that aren't fair. But God doesn't actually treat us fairly either. He treats us justly. That's a different thing from being fair. Fair means we get what everyone, we, you know, kids, to be fair, you've got to count up the strawberries that go on the plate to make sure it's fair. Make sure everyone got the same number. Okay, okay we're getting there? So Injustice, injustice. When we feel we're being treated injust- unjustly, and of course injustice abounds in the world, that's the, that's the thing that really racks us up and gets us going. So, so maybe someone shouted at you, treated, misunderstood, you did this, did that, whatever it is, there's a perceived injustice. What the core of it is, I have a right to be treated better than this, now I'm angry. Now I would say just this, if you are stirred up about the injustices others have, probably it's more near to God's sense of, uh, of, of anger, how he gets angry. If you really wound up about your own stuff, probably it's less justification for it, you need to learn how to get over it. So how do we get over it? Let me just give you a couple of simple scriptures and I'll give you four, simple, four or five simple steps, what to do practically. Okay, so 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll find the scripture and then I'll show you just what you do. 1 Peter chapter 2. So we don't want to be murderers. We've already got a lot of people convicted of murder here today. (laughs) We don't need to be all free of being convicted of murder. Repent, repent of your sin, and if you've really injured people by your anger, go put it right with them. That'll be the simplest thing to do, and then start to work on your life. Here's the the core of it here, and it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, and the verse... Let's see if I can find it here. 19, I think. No, where is it? 1 Peter chapter 2, 21. Here it is. We're nearly there. And it says. (coughs) Well, I haven't got it at all. Got it wrong. Yeah, well. uh, I should get the reference. Anyway, I know what the reference is is saying. Ah, I'm on 2 Peter. That's at hell. 1 Peter chapter 2. Here we go. Here it is. Now it says. In verse 21, for this you are called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. We should walk in his steps. Remember the example of Jesus, how unjustly he was treated. He committed no sin, neither was there any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, when he was abused, he didn't abuse in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. That's what he did. That's what he did. He committed himself to the one who judges righteously. In other words, this is what he did. When he was on the receiving end of bad treatment, instead of arising in anger and using his power to hurt people and retaliate or prove he was right, he committed his soul to the one who judges rightly. In other words, he let his rights go to the Father, and that freedom from the emotions so he could then have a spirit-led response. Did he get angry? He did get angry. He got angry in a church, actually. He got angry at the church people when they had no heart for the broken people. He got, but he didn't actually take it out on them. He just used the anger and he healed the, the person who was sick. He addressed the problem, addressed the issue. So here you find the same thing again in 1 Peter chapter four, verse 19. It says the same thing that those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So here's the core issue, the core issue behind anger, somewhere I perceive my rights have been overruled or violated, I need to commit my rights to the Lord and allow him to be the just judge on it, and that frees me then to listen to what he wants me to do. If he says let it go, I can let it go, if he says speak up, I can speak up, if he says put boundaries, I can put boundaries, if he said walk away, I can walk away. In other words, I'm not controlled by the emotion. I'm actually spirit led because I've committed my in the in, I've brought the injustice or the feel and the feelings of the injustice to the Lord. So it's actually a faith walk, being spirit led. That is the core of Here's a few practical things that will help you because remember always that the key under, uh, under this issue of uh, anger is always ownership and personal rights. I have a right. Just get go your rights and then you'll be free to be able to actually listen to what God wants you to do be part of the answer rather than part of the problem. Here's some simple things. Number one, if, you f- if you're angry, admit you're feeling angry. You just need to admit it. You've got to admit to yourself you're feeling angry. Second, create some space that you can just process what you're feeling. Sometimes we just need to withdraw from where we're at. It's provocative. We just feel upset. We know that if we stay there, we're going to be stirred up. Just withdraw. Get some space. So look, I just, it's just a bit emotional right now. I just need a bit of space. Go and create some space where you can slow down and start to think through what's actually happening. Remember, anger is just the signal I've had a rights or injustice somewhere and I need to discover it and bring it to the Lord. Okay, slow down. So let the negative energy out constructively. So maybe if you're really, really wound up, go out, chop some wood, go out and run, go out and beat a bag, go out and just just do something to let the physical energy go because when people get angry, they get a huge buildup of physical energy in their body and that's why they just go crazy and do crazy stuff. Uh, So just that's a simple thing you could do. Fourthly, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's the root problem. And it may be there's been lots of little things accumulate over a number of days, lots of frustrations, lots of little block goals. And instead of dealing with them one at a time, day by day, you just let it all build up. And now here you are, you're sullen, resentful, black, gloomy, negative, feeling uh, disempowered, angry at the world. And then one thing comes the cat goes in front of you. Next thing you know, you've kicked the cat, you've yelled at everyone, and it's all on. And you think, where did that come from? Well, it was a long build up, eh? Okay, so ask the Lord to show where the root is, try and identify what there is, and then surrender your rights to the Lord. Just surrender to the Lord so seeing so let it go. Then the final thing is, I've got to look for constructive ways to deal with the issue. I've got to look for constructive ways. A constructive way is to just let it go. A constructive way is to go and confront. A constructive way is to do some kind act. There's lots of constructive ways, but while you're angry, you can't think of one of them. You just want to smash their face. See, that's what goes on. I know you may not think that. Some people are so sweet and nice, they never think of that. So what they do, instead of the anger going out, they direct it inwards. They get sick and depressed and never happy. See, so we need to be able to do that. If you're facing someone who's very angry, again, don't treat anger with anger. You'll just stir up a fire and you can't get rid of it. The Bible says a soft answer turns away anger. So if a person's angry, they're really nutting it off in front of you, talk to them quietly in a quiet voice, ask questions and listen to them and try and draw out of them and they'll come down and be quiet. A second way to deal with an angry person is to walk away and avoid them, just to actually remove yourself completely from that situation and withdraw from it. A third way is to, at the appropriate time, talk to them about their anger issue and start to set some healthy boundaries. Now, we've got to learn what to do when people are angry, especially people we live with. Some situations you can't get away from, but you don't have to put up with it. More than once, I've told people to confront things or told them to just stop and just let God help them grow through it. Remember, there's no one answer to it all, but when you're you're rights in the hands of the Lord, you're then able to listen to him and able to work this issue out properly. It is an issue of rights. Now, some of you may be sitting on stuff that goes back years, and so a little thing happens. It just triggers off a huge storm. You've got unresolved issues you need to bring out into the open. You need to actually get some help to get them out. We want to move on so we're not caught up with this thing of personal rights, speaking angry words and destroying. We want to be able to speak prophetic words, words of life, words that build, words that bless, words that impart to people. And we don't want to be foolish destroying the thing we're trying to build. You say, Amen. Father, we just thank you. You are teaching us. We thank you, Lord. We have never realized just the power of our words, the impact of our words. We've never realized, Lord, the way our tongue just gets so out of control in so many ways. And we're saying, Lord, help us to begin to start to rule our spirit, to rule our inner man, and to begin to express the life of the kingdom and be part of the answer instead of expressing the life of the flesh and intensifying the problems. Lord, I pray for every person here today that's heard the message, those that listen to it on the internet or listen to it through the CD, that, Lord, as they begin to start to think about their words and how they're speaking, that, Lord, they will sense your hand upon them to expose these things and to help them and give grace. Give grace that we can begin to start to speak words that bring life. Give us grace to overcome injustice in our personal life. Give us grace and help us, Lord, to let go the demand and right that life serve us and to become wonderful ambassadors of heaven that are able to serve and make a difference in life. Father, I pray this church will grow, that members will grow, people will grow to a whole new level of maturity and ability to handle this issue of anger, to handle the issue of hasty words, Lord, in this next week or so, begin to show it to us every time we get into that flow that we've been in and help us to stand up and come into a breakthrough in this area. And everyone said, Amen.